Today's scripture reading is taken from two passages. The first one is Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 7. And the second one is Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. Isaiah 35, 1 to 7. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And then Isaiah chapter 8, lost my spot. Uh, verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not, with, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of God. If the uh, screen going up was resurrection, I guess the coming down is second coming. Just came. What a morning. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess I'm going to bring a little bit of, uh, uh, anyway. There's, I guess, one letter that by simply saying its name, it sets all kinds of inner and outer turmoil, and I think we probably all know what that letter is. Omicron, or Omicron. You say Omicron, I say Omicron. Omicron, Omicron, Omicron. Let's call the whole thing off. You know that song? No, seriously, like, let's call this whole thing off. Aren't we just, it's too much. My sister-in-law shared with me a a meme that I thought caught the moment that uh, we're in well. And it says, uh, 
The moment you realize 2022 is pronounced 2022, here we go again, round and round the mulberry bush on a cold and frosty morning. In her book, A People's History of Christianity, church theologian and historian Diana Butler Bass, she reflects on 12th century Benedictine abbess, and that's a fancy word for a female monk in the 12th century. Her name was Hildegard of Bingen. Hildegard had this vision of history that unlike our current understanding of history where time is linear, one minute following the next, moving in a straight line, her understanding of time was this complex circular patterns. And as an artist, she depicted history in the universe in mandalas. Here's one of her mandalas depicting time. And quoting a Hildegard, Diana Butler Bass writes this, instead of consigning humanity to perpetual defeat until rescued by God, Hildegard saw history as spiraling of ages of justice and injustice, each with its own deformations and reforms that would alternate until its consummation in love. She described paradise as the time when the whole world will exist in the full beauty of vitality and freshness. And I feel like that's what we need today is some vitality and freshness. History repeats itself. Humanity keeps making the same mistakes over and over. Nature itself uprises in disasters. New viruses and plagues arise to ravage peoples and nations and the whole planet. The whole created order seems to ebb and flow between the beauty and violence, between justice and injustice, and round and round it goes. Yet, bear with me, this vision of the brokenness of creation in the moment of in the movement of time is not one that leads to despair and withdrawing from the world in hopelessness. Well, I suppose it does lead to despair and hopelessness if that is all that there is to life and to the created cosmos. It is in this despair that we cry out, when will this ever end? Will we be, are we destined to the same injustice and violence and decay and illness and natural disasters forever and ever? And it is into this despair that the creator God gives us the promise, not only that one day will all things be made right, but into the very broken fabric of creation, God would come to be among us. It is into the despair of wondering if God was going to intercede that God gave his people promises like Isaiah 35. I'm going to read parts of it again. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. The, cro the crocus will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Skipping ahead, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and on and on. Deserts becoming places of life. 
Physical strength restored to the weak. Wilderness is places of danger and fear will become places of rejoicing and beauty. For God will come and be with you. So do not fear. Now we've said this quite a bit here at Spring over the years. But something that's in key, I think, to Christmas and to Isaiah is that salvation is not just about human souls. Salvation is not just about eternal life. It is not about the, just about the human race. Now, for those who don't know, the academic word for focusing on humans is called anthropology. Anthropology. It's the science of human beings. So whenever you hear someone say anthro something, anthropological, anthro, they're just, it means we're just talking about humans. Out of the context of everything else, we're just talking about humans right now. God's work of salvation and restoration is not just anthropological. It is not all about the origin and the nature and destiny of human beings, though we do play an important part in it, and we are, God's image is in us in a way it isn't in the rest of creation, but it is not just about us. It is about the restoration of all things. And Christianity kind of lost this for a few hundred years during the modern era. And this is a time when we thought that everything was about us, not that we don't now. So whenever we thought about Jesus Christ, we only thought in terms of saving souls. This is why we've inherited this narrative from Scripture, even though it isn't actually Scripture's narrative. 20th century German theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, he writes this in his book, called Jesus Christ for Today's World. He says, The modern era has given birth to the age of ecological catastrophes. And I, I think this shouldn't be news to us. It was news to the people he was writing to in the early, mid-20th century. But it shouldn't be news to us. Without meaning it, this anthropocentric Christology, which means human-focused understanding of Jesus, this human-focused understanding of Jesus became one factor in the modern destruction of nature. For the modern reduction of salvation, that's bringing down salvation just to the salvation of the soul or to authentic human experience, it unconsciously abandoned nature to its disastrous exploitation by human beings. It is only a growing awareness of the deadly ecological catastrophes in the world of nature which has led to a recognition of the limitations of the modern paradigm called history. So he's talking about that uh, straight uh, line history. And has pr promoted us to turn back and ask again about the wisdom of ancient cosmic Christology and its doctrine of physical redemption. I love that. Wisdom of ancient cosmic Christology. And what he means by cosmic Christology is that an understanding of Jesus Christ in Scripture is not just about humankind, but it is about all of the cosmos, all of creation. And again, we see it in the Old Testament. In the passages, Isaiah is a perfect example. In the New Testament, it's most obvious in books of Colossians and Ephesians, though it is actually everywhere when you're looking for it. Colossians 1, 15 to 16 says the son of the image the son which is Jesus is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities 
And the words he's using here, some of them, the thrones me as humans, but everything else actually isn't about human power and rulers and authorities. It's talking about in the cosmos. All things have been created, all things have been created through him and for him. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, for, the, for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. This phrase, all things, gives us a picture of how Paul saw the work of Jesus. As God, all things, and this is a word which means the entire cosmos were created in him and through him and for him. And that's what cosmic Christianity is. It's simply a Christianity that realizes that God is for all of the cosmos as the creator and the sustainer. And this is not left-wing theology, which some try to argue. Even more conservative, conservative traditionalists like Erwin Ince Jr., he's the guy that we read a book uh, together earlier in the fall. Even for him, uh, he talks about how the fall reflects on cosmic redemptive Christianity as a biblical notion. Though he avoids mentioning Moltmann, uh, but he is very much in line with Moltmann. This is left, right, and everything in the middle when we look to the scriptures. Which brings us to our current series in Advent as a time of refreshment and the verse in Acts that we have been focusing on uh, says, uh, chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. That word everything is the same one as the all things. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, all things. As he has promised. It is the cosmic Christ, God, who is working towards the restoration of the entire cosmos. So that it will exist in the full beauty and vitality and freshness. It is in the cosmic Christ that we find hopefulness in the midst of seemingly never-ending cycle of history, of beauty and destruction, of justice and injustice. For everything does not just go on and on with no divine inter intervention. And this is the hope of the Christmas story, Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation, again, another fancy word, incarnation means to put on flesh. So you know chili con carne? Chili con carne is chili with meat. So incarne, incarnation, incarnation, a meat nation. Who wants to go there? Incarnation is God who is putting spirit, God whose spirit is putting on meat. So in the incarnation where God took Jesus, God in Jesus took on our flesh, he became the very fabric of God's own created order. Emmanuel, God with us, is the first fruits of new creation. And in that circle of time that goes over injustice and justice, it doesn't just keep going for it. There was a moment in time in which God entered. And while the cycle continues, it is not the same and it will never be the same again. Since that moment that Jesus entered into the physical realities of the cosmos. 
Well, the time has not yet come for God to restore everything, this new thing has been done in the center of history and the fabric of creation. Injustice and injustice do continue to cycle round and round, but now God has placed himself in the very midst of it, in Jesus incarnate. Now, have you ever thought about the virgin birth? I mean, it's kind of one of Christianity's weirdest things, right? But it's pretty important. Like every major, all of the uh, groups of Christians, we all say this is an important thing, the virgin birth. Well, how did this happen exactly? I mean, Mary got pregnant without ever having had, this is a bit crude. She got pregnant without ever having had sex almost 2,000 years before in vitro fertilization was invented. Well, at the beginning of time, God created everything out of nothing, right? There was nothing but God, and God created everything out of nothing. That was the first creation. But then in Jesus, God once again created something out of nothing. In the absence of human sperm containing DNA of the eternal God, I mean, because there obviously isn't any human sperm that contains the DNA of the eternal God, God created something out of nothing to unite his divinity with the very fabric of created order. If that's not putting a change in that cycle of justice and injustice, I don't know what is. In this new creation of life, Of Jesus in Mary, God began the restoration of the cosmos by creating something new, by placing the eternal God's DNA into the fabric of reality. A sign of God's presence within the holistic realities, not only for humanity, but for the entire universe of things seen and unseen. And it is in the incarnation, the Christmas story, that we find the fullest affirmation of God's desire to restore all of the cosmos. Again, Isaiah tells us that God will restore creation to life-giving ways. In verse 5 and 6, he says, The eyes of the blind are open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer, and the the mute tongue will shout for joy. And this, as we know, is fulfilled in Jesus who enters creation, who changes molecular structures to reform retinas and optic nerves of eyes blind from birth that they're able to see. He reforms the cochlea and the auditory nerves in the ear of the deaf to be opened. He reforms paralytic spinal cords and muscles and nerve cells and neuron pathways in the brain to be restored so that they can walk. In fact, the passage of Acts that we've been looking at is actually from a speech that Peter, one of Jesus' followers, Peter gave in response to a man who was lame had been healed. Not lame as in he was a boring person, but lame as in he couldn't walk. This man was healed and was able to walk and it was in response to God's healing work that Peter gives this speech. And it's in talking in responding to physical healing that he speaks about the restoration of all things. Now, while Jesus' healings are worth discussing more, and we will get to them sometime in the future, let's get back to the main point for today, and that is that Jesus, the fullness of God, who is creator of all that is, somehow incarnate in atoms and cells and tissue and organs of created human flesh. He came as the first fruits of the restoration of the entire cosmos, 
from brokenness, brokenness and disintegration to wholeness and perfect integration. And here we find ourselves in that time between the beginning of that work, which, which I believe God is continuing to do in Christ with us until this time of fulfillment comes when God will fulfill the promises made in Isaiah 35. And these promises are fulfilled not just to a handful of first century Palestinians that we read about in the Bible, but to everyone and everything in the whole cosmos. And here in this time that we find ourselves now, in the midst of pandemics and landslides, we can witness Jesus' intervention and his inversion, his flipping over of broken things. Even though all of creation is groaning and suffering, even though things seem to go from bad to worse, because of Emmanuel, God with us, because of that moment in history, we have this assurance in Romans 8, 18 to 25. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was not subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But not only ourselves, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, the hope that is seen, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. One day there will be beauty in the desert without famine and death. There will be beauty of mountains without landslides, the beauty of oceans without tsunamis, the beauty of embracing others without fear of passing viruses. But for now, even when we are surrounded by suffering, injustice, illness, and tragedy, we have hope. For we know that with the birth of this baby boy, God has entered the fabric of our lives to begin a new creation, to be Emmanuel, God with us, even while our bodies waste away. Death may be an, death may be an inevitable reality in this age, but as we celebrated in the baptisms today, so is the life-giving work of new creation in Jesus, God with us, who restores us to new life, who is present in the very fabric of creation and the cosmos. And so in this, we can pause, breathe deep, and be refreshed in the knowledge that God is with us and is working to restore all things to himself. I'd like to end, uh, as the band comes up, I'd like to end with a poem uh, by Madeleine Langle, and it's as a prayer to Creator God, who in the birth of Jesus took on the very fabric of creation himself. 
Peace is the center of the atom, the core of quiet within the storm. It is not a cessation, which means stopping. It is not a cessation or nothingness. More, the lightning in reverse is what reveals the light. It is the law that binds the atom's structure, ordering the dance of proton and electron, and finds within the midst of flame and wind the glance in the still eye of the vast hurricane. Peace is not placidity. Peace is the power to endure the megatron of pain. With joy, the silent thunder of release, the ordering of love. Peace is the Adam's start, the primal image, God within the heart. Peace be with you uh, this Christmas season.